Good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I told you the story of my family's two uh, professional portraits. Uh, They were both taken for our church's pictorial directory, and uh, they both evoke strong emotions uh, among members of my family. And I told you that uh, that first picture was taken in the fall of 2000, uh, and it was the first of its kind, the first time my whole family lined up for a professional photo. And and the only thing that I'll tell you about that is that if you feel a little self-conscious about your own family pictures, uh, then I'd simply say you're in friendly waters because uh, my family showed up wearing turtlenecks and blue denim. We were that family, and I promise you, none of us liked it. And uh, that's why some eight years later, uh, World War III almost broke out in our household as we were getting ready for our second family photo. You see, uh, I don't remember who fired the first shot, but uh, as I told you, I remember the bullets whizzing through the air, you know. I'm not going to wear that again, and it looks hideous, and don't you care about this family photo? Now, the, the battle went on for about an hour, and I remained holed up in my room, uh, when we eventually we hopped in the car and posed for the most mismatched photo you've ever seen, and, and the sepia tone really hides it. <laughs> uh, but a couple of years ago, what I, what I didn't tell you about was how much that photo ended up meaning to me. You see, uh, a few weeks later, I, uh, I hopped on a plane and studied abroad. I traveled about 5,000 miles away from home. It was one of the most incredible adventures I've ever been on. Yet it was also one of the loneliest times in my life. See, all my neighbors were Hungarian, my family and friends, a continent away. And even though I was ready to become a pastor, I was still studying math in college. Yet all the while, that photo went with me traveled with me everywhere I went. And whenever I wondered who I was or had a question or two or just needed some encouragement, I could pull it out of my front right pocket where I kept it for several weeks and find my reminder. You're part of a family. And the race you run, the life you live, is lived together. And truth be told, uh, that's the message of today's reading and the letter in which we find it. You see, it was written to Christians in a very similar situation, and its message is exactly the same. You're part of a family. And the life you live and the race you run is lived together, and it's finished with Jesus. And that uh, brings us to today's reading, and the letter in which we find it, the letter to the Hebrews. And it's uh, one of the lesser visited letters in the New Testament. You'll find it near the very back with other letters from Peter, James, and John. Yet, unlike those letters, we're not really sure who wrote it. I mean, we're not even sure which Hebrews it addresses. Uh, Scholars tend to think that it's written to Christians in Jerusalem and probably written by either Paul or one of his companions, maybe Apollos, maybe Barnabas, but the truth of the matter is the letter just doesn't tell us. And so it's shrouded in this sense of mystery. Well, there's a couple things that aren't mysterious, and, and the first of those things is that this letter 
was intended to be read aloud, sort of like a Sunday sermon. So if you've ever felt like uh, Pastor Rico or I go on and on on a Sunday morning, I'd simply point out that this sermon letter is like 13 chapters long. Uh, But the second thing uh, that's important to know, and probably the more significant thing, is we know a thing or two about the congregation to which this letter was written. You see, they're tired and worn out, completely exhausted. It has nothing to do with uh, everyday life. It has everything to do with what it means to be a Christian. And so for just a moment, I want you to consider this situation. You're a first century Jew, and you've just become a Christian. Yet, taking on a new religion in the first century isn't like it is today. It isn't a private affair. Instead, it's this big public statement. And you're reminded of that by the way your mother reacted. You can't be serious. That's what she said the other night. You're forsaking our time-honored customs and traditions. How can you do this to this family and our community? And while she didn't kick you out of the house the other night, you know that someday when there's weddings and funerals, big family reunions, she's not going to be there. And your boss, he told you to take a hike. I think his words were, you're not working at this business. And it hurts. I mean, of course it hurts. But you're a new creation. And for some reason that you can't completely explain, all that other stuff simply pales in comparison. You flash forward uh, just a couple of years, maybe even a decade or two, and your situation's going to begin to look a little different. And that's because, you know, living the faith, running the race, fighting the good fight, is eventually going to become tiring and exhausting. And when it does, you might just be tempted to wonder, should I even bother? And then slowly, not all at once, other things in your life are going to seem a lot more important. And that, you see, is this congregation's situation. A little over a year ago, I found myself in the market uh, for a financial planner. So I've been working uh, this big boy job for a couple of years now, and I uh, found myself asking more and more questions about saving for the future. And so the prompting of a good friend of mine, I decided to begin my search. And as I did, I uh, I heard this story, someone else's story, about this incredibly frustrating experience. You see, uh, this friend of mine, he's a Christian here in Maryland, and just like me, he was looking for a financial planner. And uh, he did some digging and finally settled down on someone. And and when he did, he told me, you know, you can kind of imagine how this sort of thing goes. Uh, We showed up, we gave the guy our W-2s and our bank statements. And, uh, you know, even though he was just doing our taxes, after a little while, he expressed some concern because we were giving our money away. And it was so incredibly frustrating. I mean, this guy wouldn't understand, couldn't understand how we are called to use our money, that we're called to give even when it hinders. You know, maybe you find yourself in a similar situation before, a situation where someone doesn't understand how you're called to live as a Christian. Maybe it has something to do with money, maybe it doesn't. And when I think about these things, I tend to think about uh, the relocation. It was before my time, and 
maybe some of yours, certainly some of yours. But I just think about the three back-to-back capital campaigns and the $6.5 million that, that made this church possible. And it must have been just so, ex- so exhausting. I imagine the most exhausting part wasn't necessarily raising all that money, but giving it away. In a world that tells you to buy a bigger house or a better car, a world that says you need to save for retirement or plan for your kid's future, yet you did it. And as I've spoken with so many of you over the past few years, I've discovered why. You did it to follow Jesus. You see, following Jesus isn't just about the way we use our money. It's about the way we live our lives. It's about, you know, turning the other cheek when someone cuts you off in traffic. It's about bearing your coworkers' burdens even when they aren't your problem. But I've seen you do it. Yet, if you're anything like me or this congregation to which this letter was written, then eventually maybe you begin to wonder, should I even bother? I mean, will building a bigger building, will that help others follow Jesus? If I listen to my coworker's problems, will she eventually get over them? And if, if we start a family now, is God really going to provide for us? You see, it's in situations like this and many more that we listen to the author of today's letter. You see, he compares the Christian life to a race we run, just like the Olympics. And his message is this, the race you run, the life you live is done together and it's finished with Jesus. Now eventually you're going to get tired and worn out and when you do, that's when you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because your faith rests on something far greater and much deeper than what you can see around you. It rests on Jesus. I mean, he's the son of God, but he became just like you. He lived your life. He walked in your shoes. And when you feel tired and worn out, he shows you the way. He shows you that your faith leads to the right hand of the Father. And you know, when when you can't take another step, when you're just too exhausted, Jesus comes by your side and he says, don't worry, I've got this. Now this year marked the 120th anniversary of the Boston Marathon. And for Ariel Sevet, it involved an unexpected finish. See, it's the second time that he's run uh, this race, except unlike last year, uh, the home stretch proved to be a real challenge. See, with less than 100 yards left to go, he began to experience the full effects of heat exhaustion and dehydration, and that's when his body began to give out beneath him. Yet it was exactly in this moment, a moment that he doesn't even remember, that two of his fellow runners came by his side and said, don't worry, we've got this. And those two fellow runners carried Ari all the way to the finish line. You know, those two runners, they also give us a picture of what Jesus' message is for people like you and me today. I mean, it's the word of encouragement that we keep in our front right pocket. And it's what we see, the author of today's letter says, when we feel tired and worn out and we fix our eyes on Jesus. 
And so let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the one who helps us run this race and he's the one who brings us all the way to the finish. And when you're tired and when you're worn out, when you feel like you can't go another step, he's the one who comes by your side and says, don't worry, I've got this. Amen. Remember the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.